This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Chantel. Chantel, how's it going? It's going great. I'm in Barbados. I can't complain. Yeah, like I'd rather be there because uh, it's getting. I'm in the. I'm in Connecticut, and it's getting cold out here now. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not happy well, about it. You're, it's getting cold for you, but for us, we're getting like the hurricanes and the. You know, it's that kind of. Oh, time. Did, why you got hit by that? Like we didn't get hit by Ian, uh, even though it's like totally destroyed Florida, but we got yesterday we had um a really heavy rains and there was a lot of flooding not not nearly how uh, you know as bad as what florida is getting but yeah it's it's getting there for us so we just got to see how the rest of the season plays out yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so tell me tell me a little bit about how you got into music oh man i i guess you could say i was born into it um Mm because a lot of people in my family are musical like my mom was in the church choir in a big way and then i have an aunt who was like pretty famous in barbados as a singer mm-hmm. um and i you know i was born and raised in barbados like i said so i just grew up around the scene like around her and her band and so i guess you could say it's like in my blood and um i just was that kid that was always like skipping class and hanging out in the music room instead <laughs> my friends um yeah and then i started to gain like a reputation as a songwriter in barbados um i started writing for like basically the biggest artists out here um and it caught the attention of these guys that were the basically the the production company that originally discovered rihanna and they were actually looking for someone who could write for her and so they found me, and that's how I ended up going to New York. Um, but then when I got there, they were like, holy shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, these demos, is it you singing? And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> we got another one. Uh, do you want to be an artist? And I'm like, duh. So, you know, they kind of just put me through the same ropes, and we recorded um, a bunch of demos, shopped it around to all the different labels, and Universal was the first label that was you know like we're ready like let's do this so yeah that was kind of in a nutshell how it all happened that's dope wait so yeah. tell me how how did you get like how did you end up in new york just because um <laughs> so so if anyone is from like caribbean culture they'll know exactly what i'm talking about um but there's an artist her name is allison hines and she's basically like the caribbean's beyonce like for for soca music our style of music in the islands and so I got this opportunity to write um, a huge song for her. I didn't know it was going to be huge, but it ended up being going global. And there's a song called Roll It Gal. And this song blew up. So, um, you know, while these guys were working with Rihanna, they were, this is like when they were making music of the sun. So if you listen to that, the style of music on that album, it's still very like islandy and Caribbean and has like a lot of like reggae and, you know, type elements. So I guess the song was probably like one of the top performing songs out of the Caribbean at the time. So they were just looking for the people behind like the top island songs. Um, So they happened to be in Barbados and they saw me on the cover of a magazine. And the, I guess like the title said something about, you know, the 
like me and my songwriting or whatever. So they were like, oh my gosh, this is the girl that wrote the song that we like, like find her. And it was weird because when they called me, I just happened to be in New York at the time. Cause it was like a, like around labor day and everyone knows that's when all the Caribbean people are in New York and doing all the carnival stuff. So I happened to be out there and when they called me, they were like asking me, so when are you going to be in New York next? And I'm like, serendipity I'm here <laughs> right now. Mm -hmm. So I literally went to their studio the same day that they called and met with them and that's when yeah that's when it, everything happened they actually put me on the spot brought out the guitar they're like these recordings are cool but let's see if you can really sing like for real and i was just like what is happening <laughs> like i came here to talk about writing and next thing you know i'm like auditioning yeah. key um but yeah so they really liked what they heard and decided you know let like if you want to we'll we'll take the same shot with you and yeah, it was just kind of all of a, a dream. Sometimes I still pinch myself how it all happened, you know, because I don't feel like it was something I was chasing. I feel like it was something that just came to me, you know, like mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, written or something, <laughs> if you yeah. believe in that kind of stuff. But yeah, so yeah, I recorded a bunch of demos with them and yeah, we shopped around. I went to everyone, went to, they like, I remember Jimmy Iovine flying me out to LA because he wanted to sign me to Interscope and it was dope. Like I met Snoop Dogg. I went to like Snoop Dogg's listening party the first day I got there. I was like, what is happening? This is crazy. <laughs> what, what, year, what year was this? Uh, I think this was about 2000, uh, probably like 2008 maybe. Okay. Yeah, or 2007 because I think my first album came out in 2008. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out the timeline. So then, <laughs> so then from there, is that like, how did you write a t-shirt? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it was so weird. Um, so yeah. So fast forward, I get signed. I'm signed to like Steve Rifkin's label, um, under Motown, which is, which was called, uh, street records, SRC at the time. And so for those of you who know, like of Steve Rifkin and that whole, label it used to be called loud records and they were like legendary in hip-hop because this is the label that brought like wu-tang and three six mafia <laughs> and like all these legendary acts and then later of course like akon and then i get signed to this label i'm like what is going on walking through universal i'm like seeing stevie wonder on the walls and the jackson five and i'm like dude i'm signed to motown like what is going on uh <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, it, my, my whole life changed like very, very quickly because it went from getting signed uh, within like a, I would say less than a year, the album was done and ready and t-shirt was actually not on the album at first. Like we had a whole different plan, like which single to go with first and um, I remember like we were in the meeting, like the, the, there's usually like a meeting where like the whole labels at, you know, in the conference room and we're going through f finalizing the, the album details, the track listing, the cover art, all this stuff. And we're like, yeah, boom, the, the meeting's over, like album's ready to go. And then I remember, I'm trying to remember who it was that walked in, but some other label executive walked in and he's like, we're not done this album's not going out yet. And I'm just like, Oh no, this is like, 
the nightmare you hear about every artist they get you all hyped and then your album gets shelved and it never comes out and I, oh yeah it was doug morris doug morris is the guy he walks in he's like the head of the label at the time he walks in he's like it's not done we just got like a new track um and she's gonna need to like work on this song before this album comes out of course i go through like the depression i really thought that this was you know this is what was happening for me but then um yeah so we go back to the drum board go back to the studio and i'm like okay the only reason why i wasn't all the way depressed about working on it because it was like i i like with t-shirt i was working with really big um writers and producers so the producer his name is wayne wilkins and he's like done huge records for beyonce and the writer his name is savan koteka so he's done a lot of big songs for like people like britney spears so i was like you know what at least i get to work with these people we'll see what happens like this is a dream i'm getting to work with people that you know this you know most people will never be able to work with so let's just do it uh yeah and then we came up with t-shirt and i was like really nervous too i thought i was like this is so bubblegum <laughs> i'm like what am i doing <laughs> like, this is way too bubblegum but they were like just trust us this is amazing it's gonna work and then yeah it ended up being the first single and here we are you know it's, it was the single that set the tone i guess you could say I, and i got really lucky it was very successful yeah for sure like even um obviously i met you through nfts and stuff but i didn't know no offense but i didn't know what songs you sang and then i looked it up and i was like oh shit like she sang this song and i it instantly <laughs> clicked in my head that like i knew that song and i knew like impossible and stuff yeah. so that was cool um that's why i was even more the world's most uh i don't know like invisible artist i feel the world uh, we'll yeah. i'm not the artist that everyone knows the songs yeah they don't know who the artist is and they also don't know that the same artist sings all of these songs yeah. <laughs> they're like wait what yeah, it's sure. actually some people meet me and they're like wait you're black and i'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? And like i thought you were a white girl I'm like, okay yeah well i mean yeah those two songs are definitely totally different like yeah, they're so like, yeah for sure no but i mean well me as a listener of music like i don't like half the time i don't know the artist anyways like, yeah listen to it. yeah um <laughs> but yeah um and then yeah like what happened after that like you're, you you blew up it was on the top charts all that stuff yeah um i think i mean t-shirt was really successful i think it was yeah i mean it went gold i believe it was like my mm -hmm. first single and it you know it like did really well on the charts, but I think it maybe was like top 20 or something like that on mm -hmm. billboard. Um, well, I was just, just really excited to actually be in top 40. I was like, I can't like, I'm on billboard. I can't believe this, but then uh, impossible came out a little bit after that. And impossible was the one that crushed it. Like that took me, I'm pretty sure like in the U S all the way to like number three or four or something like that. in the, top 10 and uh number one like all over the world mm -hmm. um but those, that's two completely different albums so you know the t-shirt uh album came out and that allowed me that was kind of like what propelled everything like for most artists that was what sort of put me on the road i was able to like open for rihanna a few times you know at some of her shows and then um right after that album came out and the success of t-shirt then i went to tour with Beyonce <laughs> um, on the I Am tour. And that was 
another kind of like pinch yourself moment like what is going on like i am touring with beyonce like this is nuts <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um yeah impossible wasn't that like it was featured on a lot of sports stuff too right yeah it's so weird because a lot of my music ended up on like the gym playlist <laughs> like you know the like the official gym playlist like what yeah. they're playing it's like and it was playing a lot in the if you liked going if you like, were in the shopping malls if you go to h&m you know they like just have the music playing it was like on a lot of those uh playlists both songs um and those those are the type of things that really lead to you know the success of a song like not just the people playing it on streaming platforms but like our institutions like are they having it you know on rotation in their in their stores and their restaurants all that is driving mm -hmm. you know driving your numbers up uh so i was grateful i got added to like a whole ton of shit and i was just like guys like this music and there's so many guys <laughs> messaging me like dude you don't understand like pumping i'm pumping and impossible is just like yeah that's my gym uh, this is my workout song i'm like how is this this is impossible like literally like, they're like i don't know it does something to me man it pumps me up i'm like okay dude whatever works <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah, because I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so I feel like it was like on ESPN. Like, was it on ESPN? Yeah. So you had to deal with them. I well, it wouldn't be me that had to deal, but what yeah. it is like the publishing companies—they're yeah. the ones who do, yeah, all these deals with, you know, the movie studios mm -hmm. or you know different brands, different um, networks and things like that. Yeah, it's usually the publishers. So my publishing is also with Universal, so they, they would be the ones who are making all those deals. But of course, you know, the artist still low-key gets the benefit, especially if your business has been handled and you, you know, you still retain a good amount of your publishing or, yeah. you know, but what the part I don't like is that most in these deals, the artist doesn't have a, we don't have the, the we don't own the master rights. Mm -hmm. So we'll pick up like some residuals in publishing, you know, every time our music gets used or, or definitely if the master version with your voice is being used. Um, but let's say the label decides to use the song for something and they, and they, but they use a cover instead or someone else's version. If you don't own any publishing on the song and you have no master rights, you're literally going to make zero dollars yeah. off of this song that's your, yours. But yeah, um, because you're not, it's not you singing it, it's not your performance, then yeah, you'll make zero and the label will make like thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. That's crazy. So yeah, so like on the business side of things, like what is that? Are you, are you signed right now? No. Um, I think so how, do, yeah, like, so how does that work? Do you still get it from that? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm no longer signed as a recording artist. But I still do have my pub deal with um, UMPG, which is Universal Music Publishing Group. Um, and the reason I didn't, I didn't get out of my publishing deal is just because I still retained the majority of my publishing with this deal. Um, but what it does is Universal has the power to place my music in places that I don't. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no point. I mean, a percentage of zero is still zero. Yeah. Well, if it's just up to me, like, I don't, I may not know how to, 
I mean, now I'm in a different place. I, I know a lot more people now and I can sort of make plays much more independently now. But like, let's say in the beginning, you know, there's no way like I could get my music in a commercial yeah. or a movie or soundtrack or <laughs> something like that. And those are the things that make that make your music that extra, extra money on top of just playing on radio and people streaming it. Um, so yeah, uh, if, if you're not owning anything, then you make nothing. But if you own the majority, or even if you own only a little bit, if you allow a publishing company to take your music and, you know, actually get it placed, then, then you'll start generating a lot more, um, in pub, but it's kind of a tricky thing because with, even with publishers, even though it's in their best interest to push the music that you create, sometimes it's difficult to get their attention because there's like hundreds of thousands of other artists and writers. And so you have to really know how to play the game or know the right people so that you're on people's radar so that you're the one that the building is like revolving around. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that in, in itself is a major challenge and something that, you know, most people don't, you know, aren't able to manage really well. So I just was like, you know what, I think I've been able to get my, you know, sort of (laughs) nurture um, enough relationships within the industry on the inside that I can feel safe keeping my pub deal because I know like they're actually bringing something to, to the table. But I did go through a point where I had to like really get in there and like bang on tables and nudge them and, yeah. you know, uh, like make some moves. Otherwise this deal makes no sense for me and I'll leave, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, it's been pretty good. Like it was pretty cool seeing, um, you know, t-shirt being like a bunch of like Netflix, um, Netflix shows and seeing uh, other songs that I wrote, even songs I wrote from that were, were recorded by other artists ended up in like Grey's Anatomy and all these like, uh, you know, really major uh, network production. So yeah, for me, it makes more sense to at least maintain my publishing deal because mm-hmm. they, yeah, that definitely brings a lot more to the table than I could on my own. But as far as like my recording, deal uh, that one the math was not math at all yeah so yeah, yeah so how how much have things like changed since you like began began in the industry and now like even with like you know even what you were just saying like now like tiktok is like blown up like that's how people's songs blow up and, <laughs> and things like that and even um uh i know we're gonna we'll talk we'll touch base after about <laughs> yeah. yeah all the artists artists people who just want to be famous aren't bothered by TikTok, and a lot of them are young and they grew up in this anyway and it's just what they know mm-hmm. and it's kind of like normal and fun for them that's kind of like how they have fun with their friends but for artists that really care about being artists and maybe the fame is secondary it's we're just artists because we can't help it mm-hmm. like there's something in us that drives us to create that makes us want to touch people's hearts and and impact people in a positive way. And when that's when that's what you're driven by, these types of things feel really almost like self-deprecating. They feel like really um, gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you feel like you're putting a lot more energy into doing something 
that isn't what you're here to do because you're here to create your music and sing for people and what, that's what you want to do. You don't want to like have to freaking make up a dance or structure your <laughs> your your music around what you think is going to be trendy. It's like that's a very different way to approach creativity, but at the same time you can't say it's not creative, you know, creative. Mm -hmm. I I like think that these kids are like geniuses how they you know come up with this stuff that just goes viral and what what not but for me as a creator it's really that's so far outside of my process and it's not mm -hmm. normal for me so when i have to go into that realm i really do feel like a fish out of water but i do understand the genius behind it and like i understand how it works and is quite smart but it it is kind of scary for us creators because we feel like so now this means we can't really create from the heart now we have to consider mm -hmm. an algorithm yeah, yeah, yeah. to create and that feels like weird it feels like that isn't typically how creativity works and so it's it's like yeah you have to adjust it's not been fun or easy for me like mm -hmm. just keeping it real but yeah it's a thing now so we we have to learn to adapt and the same way that eventually everyone's going to have to start learning to adapt to web three or the same way we had to start learning to adapt to the internet. And we were like, wait, you don't write letters anymore. Was this email thing? Like you just hit a button and what, you yeah. know, we adapt. And so maybe hopefully sooner than later, I'll get there with TikTok and all that stuff. But for me, man, it's like, Oh, I hate it. <laughs> maybe just, maybe just, you just got to go in the booth and just record like 15 second song and just throw them <laughs> on TikTok. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe for me, the content that would work more for me instead of the gimmicky stuff, because people also enjoy the kind of like BTS, like behind the scenes content too. Like yeah. you kind of tease, like you're creating a song. And yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I would probably more so just, I would probably have to be like Jacob Lee. I would need like a small team around me who follows me around, document stuff, and then creates that cool content yeah. for me that then I could just kind of like chop it up and spread it out over time but yeah i suck at stuff like that i would be one of those artists i would just have to like have a budget to be paying like this is what a lot of people do they just be paying the dancers they just like yeah. hit them up and be like what's your rate like do a, a dance to my song could you make up a challenge yeah. you know and yeah so so you have to decide how you're going to navigate it you're either going to put in that work and time and energy into figuring out how to create really like attractive content on your own <laughs> mm -hmm. or yeah you gotta have a budget where you can just pay for it you know pay people to do it and pay people that are already really popular or have a huge following to sort of put you on their people's radar so yeah there's ways around it you just gotta decide yeah. how you want to play the game for sure and going back to like the masters thing like so a lot i'm sure you've seen it like a lot of people either are like buying their masters back like snoop dogg or like a lot of like older artists i'd say are like selling their masters yeah. like what is, like what is your thoughts on that stuff so that tells me a lot and that tells me when i see certain types of people making certain moves or investing in a certain space it tells me it usually is an indicator that they know something that we don't know. And what I think is happening is that they are fully aware that um, the world of art is moving into a space where ownership means more than, you know, more than it ever did before. Yeah. Um, 
And I think they are recognizing that we are kind of moving towards either the concepts of fractional ownership or even decentralization. And they're recognizing, wait a minute, there's so much value in a song. Like they are probably in their 40s and 50s realizing that music that came out when their parents were little is still popular right now and still making money and being and the beauty of art is that it can derivatives right (laughs) yeah (laughs) so for example a song can come out in 1935 and then another artist will do a different version of that song in 1945 and then it'll someone will sample it in 1965 and then you know in 2000 beyonce's got it sampled in her and they're like whoa this is like money that never dies. It just keeps rolling over and rolling over. Um, and so they realize like, this is very valuable and it's uh, and very valuable in the long term. like being able to own a very successful artist catalogs. And a lot of artists, unfortunately, um, you know, the business isn't nice to creatives. And so many artists spend their entire career being extremely popular. Um, touring all over the world, living their best life. And then one day they wake up and realize it's all over and they have nothing really, or they didn't really make much. Um, And it maybe it felt like they were making a lot because when you are really famous, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't have to spend money really because people just give you everything for free. So you might've felt like, wow, like I'm staying in the nicest hotels. I didn't even pay. I didn't pay for this first class flight. I didn't pay for this private jet. I didn't pay for this Dom Perignon. (laughs) Like I didn't pay for any of this stuff. Um, and you, and you feel like you're making money and the designers are giving you like free swag and you're like dripping and you're good. But then all of it slows down and then you're like looking at the bag and you're like, wait a minute. I thought I had a lot more money, bro. Like my life felt a lot. And then they realize like, holy shit. Like, how do I keep up this lifestyle now? Like, you know, I, I can't even get into certain rooms unless I look a certain way, even though I'm this guy, I'm not the guy right now anymore. And so they feel like they have to keep it up. And then maybe they've had families now, now they have kids. And then they're like, well, the band doesn't even exist anymore. Like we're not even touring, you know, how, how am I? And the label owns all my publishing. So I'm not even getting royalties. Like how do I make money? And so they, they wake up and realize like, I think I'm going to have to sell my catalog mm-hmm. that way I get a, uh, and, so, and a lot of them kind of have a strategy about it. Like they'll sell it with the intention or belief that later they'll buy it back. So yeah. what they want instead of, instead of going to a bank and getting a loan that they have to pay back, they'll just sell their catalog, get like millions of dollars. And then they'll start taking that money and trying to figure it out. Like, how can I invest it? And if they're successful uh, with their investments, they'll make, you know, make a lot, make that money back really quickly. And then they'll just try to buy it back, (laughs) you know? Uh, But sometimes it's not that simple to get it back because the, the people are the person who has it now. They're like, we're not letting this go. Like we're making yeah. so much money in our sleep, holding on to this. <laughs> like you'll never get this back. And <laughs> you know, so you would have to be coming with like the extra, extra bag to even convince them. Yeah. So yeah, that this is why you see that happening. And yeah, so the people investing in publishing 
understand how publishing works. They understand that it's passive income, and they understand that the more catalogs they collect, you know, it's very valuable. And they and if they own the masters, um, it means that they can determine whatever happens to the music as well. Like, th so they have the, they now have the power to try to make them make the music make even more money by like somehow reviving it or you know putting it in a, in a movie or doing something with it that's going to generate you know more royalties so yeah they know a lot that the average person doesn't know and they really understand the value of intellectual property yeah. and so yeah so a lot of really rich people will get to a point where they're they may be done the real estate they've done the the startups they've done the vc thing they've done the tech and <laughs> now they're like okay what's fun what's gonna give me access to like freaking you know like hollywood and the music industry and the stars mm -hmm. like yeah if i'm the guy that's owning their music then all these people got to deal with me i get to meet everybody <laughs> you know i get to invite them to the party i get to hang out with like snoop dog <laughs> you know what i mean like so yeah those are some of the reasons why people do that like intellectual property is very valuable and so now this is why you have this era where creatives finally it took us a long ass time but we finally figured it out like this is the this is what we need to not let go of because look at these guys mm -hmm. they're investing in this it must be valuable and we're just letting it go what are we doing yeah. you know yeah, I don't know if you saw like um, James Earl Jones just sold his voice like it to AI or something like some. Yeah. And so that's great, like yeah. stuff like that's crazy. And then there, I think there was an actor that just did it too. I forgot who it was, but yeah, that's like that's just wild. And I know like um, Shaq own Shaq is invested in this company that owns like Elvis Presley's uh, IP. Yeah. So like yeah, so crazy things like that. Mm-hmm. So now it it doesn't just look like oh like one guy you know, owns a catalog, like I said, you know, like a, yeah. gr a group of people will come together, start a, a freaking company and say, this is what this company does. We buy catalogs and we yeah. all, you know, we all own them like collectively, like we all have fractional ownership of these catalogs and that's how we make money uh, over time. So yeah, it's very, <laughs> it's lucrative business, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So tell, tell me how you got into NFTs. Yeah, so how I got into NFTs was Jack, no more treats. Yeah, Jack, we're doing something. Yeah, NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got into NFTs was right before, this is literally right before the pandemic started. Um, I was already at this place in my career where I was recognizing you know i already like understood the value of ip and i was recognizing like especially as a female like i'm getting older they like to like discard us really quickly um unless we do all the things and keep up with the sexy and mm. kind of like low-key sell our souls a little bit mm -hmm. and i'm just like uh i don't know if i'm trying to do that i make real good money writing songs on top of like what i make as an artist and so then I was just like, maybe I should start like accepting the fact that there's a really high possibility that my artist career could be over like sooner than I would like. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wanted, I'm like a super realist. And so 
instead of being like a pessimist or like overly optimistic, I like to stay in the middle. I'm a realist. So I looked at my life. I looked at the trajectory and I was like, okay, you've done all this. This is awesome. But you have to be real. There's a really high probability that this is the way it's going to go. So you're going to really need to get serious about the rest of your life. <laughs> you're going to really need to get serious about how you're going to make money moving forward. So I started realizing, you know, I'm not like a big spender, which is why I still have a lot of money, but I'm not securing my future. Like I was like, I don't have any investments really, you know, and I'm looking around at some of my mm -hmm. friends. I like totally missed the boat. Like a bunch of my friends got lucky and they were like, it's, you know, some of those like first checks with like Uber, Canva, like Zoom, you know, all these like major, like when the tech boom was happening. And I, I like totally missed the boat. And I was like, damn, huh, could it be getting some Facebook money? <laughs> you know, like, and so I decided like to start paying more, more attention. And so I had a, a bunch of my friends, like Forex trading was becoming really popular. I started like digging into it. I was like, yeah, I need to diversify my portfolio. Maybe I'll get into trading. I'll throw some money over here, but I couldn't take it through like this. It was like so stressful for me. And I was just like, this is going to kill me early. So uh, maybe trading is not for me. Like this Forex thing was cute, but I don't like it. And yeah. I didn't want to take the time to understand like the bots and all that. So through the Forex com community, I met a bunch of crypto guys and they were like, dude, Fiat's dead. Trust me. And I'm like, what do you mean Fiat's dead? <laughs> and they're like, just trust me. Like get in early now. You keep complaining how you missed the boat with the tech. Well, here's your second chance. Don't mess it up. And so I'm like, okay. And I start going down the crypto rabbit hole and I start loving it. I'm just like, I am loving the whole ethos of this thing. Why did everyone think it was the devil? This is amazing. Like I need to really start investing. Um, and then through the crypto community, um, they started telling me like, dude, you're an artist, you're in crypto, like you've got to start looking at NFTs. So I'm like, NFTs, what the hell? So I had to go through, you know, go through a whole another learning curve, went down the rabbit hole. I was like on YouTube, like hours every day. And then I just started sitting in Twitter spaces because I, I, like everyone in the community started telling me, you can't be for real in Web3 if you're not on Twitter, yeah. just say. And I was just like, dude, I haven't tweeted in like five years. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> I had to come back to Twitter. Um, and then, yeah, I really started uh, exploring the world of Web3. And I recognized that, yeah, this could be something that could make a lot of sense for creatives. Um, so I kind of like really geeked out. And um, then the pandemic hit and so it was kind of like i actually really had a lot of time to spend mm -hmm. researching about it and learning because i had nothing to do i wasn't told you know i couldn't go anywhere i couldn't do anything um and so some friends of mine decided like this is perfect timing i did my research to find out like is like i see the art you know like the visual art coming through with the nfts but at the time i wasn't seeing any music like i wasn't seeing it in the you know on the music side of creativity uh, so I was like, like, how do you do this? Like with music, is it possible? Can is you know, like, has this been done? 
then all of a sudden I discovered that that Kings of Leon did an album as an NFT. So I was like, okay, so it's a thing. Someone's done it. Then I started hearing about Snoop Dogg doing all this stuff in Web3. And I was just like, okay, he's not like really releasing music. He's kind of like using his celebrity for like, you know, PFP projects or like to get access to his his world in a sandbox or whatever. So I'm like starting to see the different, you know, the different ways that people are using this tech. I'm just like, I'm gonna try it. Yeah. I'm gonna try it because I gotta find a creative and new way to give my fans or supporters some type of experience while everyone's locked inside, you know? Mm. And I'm like, this makes a lot of sense right now. Like everyone's forced to be virtual. All the experiences are virtual. Um, and so I think it makes sense for me to kind of like test this right now, like in a time where everyone has to experience everything virtually anyway. Um, yeah, so I spent a long time not only doing research, but then I recognized that for me to even get the, the support from my fans, I would have to teach them what this stuff is like, what is, what the hell is an NFT? And so I started creating a lot of content about NFTs and Web3 and blockchain and crypto. Um, and I started a telegram. Um, and when I felt like I had enough people in that telegram that were like on board and they understood it, I was just like, I think it's time, you know, I kind of like t tested them and or like surveyed them, you could say. And I'm like, what, you know, if I was to you know, if I was to like launch an NFT project, would that mean something to you? And they were all like, yeah, like, please do it. You know, we want, we want those Chantel digital collectibles. And this was even before I knew about uh, utility and all that stuff. I just packaged it in such a way that like, I thought of myself as a fan and I'm like a huge Beyonce fan. So I'm like, if Beyonce did a digital collectible, like what would make me want it other than the fact that it's Beyonce? And like, if it were in limited supply, what would make me actually want to fight for it? Mm -hmm. um, so I was just like, it can't be just an, like music. It can't be just an album. That's not enough. It can't be just a video. And I'm like, what would I kill for if Beyonce put it out as an exclusive experience? And I was just like, maybe it could give people access to meet and greets and maybe it can give them concert access and maybe they get merch as well and maybe they get a vinyl and <laughs> so maybe they get custom artwork like each individual person that buys one the artwork's completely different maybe we get an illustrator to illustrate them in the cover art with me like so i came up with all these cool things that i thought would be unique and like really exclusive experiences packaged it all um but i knew that I knew that doing a generative project wasn't going to make sense at the time. Um, and I really wanted to make it special for the, for those fans who really genuinely wanted to collect Chantel. So I went digging in the, I had to dig really deep within web three because most of the people were collecting apes and punks and, you know, like fine art. Mm -hmm. and, um, so I had to find the music community within web three found it felt like I like found my tribe. Then I had to find co the collectors in the web three community, then filter that down to the collectors who are into collecting music NFTs or music digital collectibles. 
And then I had to filter, go into that, like filter that down to be like, are there any Chantel fans over here? Yeah. And they just happened to be a few of them. <laughs> so brought them into the Telegram. Because this was before I even knew about Discord and all that. Right. Like, this was like, yeah. Uh, so I was just using Telegram. So yeah, I was just gradually like filtering people into my Telegram. And yeah, once I felt like I had enough people, I was like, I'm going to, it was the 11th anniversary of Impossible. So I was like, I'm just going to do 11 NFTs, one for each year <laughs> the songs went out. Um, and yeah. That's, that's crazy because, uh, yeah. so when I've, <laughs> launched mine it was my 10 year anniversary and i came out with 11 also because i created my my brand in 2011. yeah yeah so yeah so only 11 nfts and i said i don't want to come off like real arrogant and crazy like i don't even know what to set this price at and i'm just like you know what i'm just gonna leave it up to the people this is the ultimate test this is the like i really can collect some serious data here like i can really find out what the people who value me the highest, like, how high is that? Yeah. Like, how much I want to know how much are you willing to pay for a piece of me, basically, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so, how, said, so how much I'm, was it? I'm like, I'm not setting a price. I'm going to do it auction. I'm like auction okay. all 11 pieces, bro. Like my life changed immediately. My life changed. Cause I was just like, I don't understand. Wait, somebody's trying to get up here. <laughs> hey Ernie. Yeah. I was just like, I don't understand like how the hell I just made more money in 48 hours, leaving it up to people to decide what they want to pay. Then I can make streaming across all platforms combined in like, I w it would take me like three years. Wow. To generate what I, yeah, what I made from those NFTs. So like, um, pretty sure the top, the, the, the top bidder, I think it, he spent what at the time would have been about 17 K in ETH mm -hmm. to get that. And so, uh, you know, and then each, and then each one below that was like, it was like 17 then 15, 14, 13, 11K, like, it's like small increments going down. I'm like, these yeah. people are paying a lot to have no. this. This is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it really showed me like, that was the true test. Like, what is my worth? And I'm just like, right. you know what? I It taught me like, I don't need the whole world. I'm like, dude, 11 people just like put in my pocket what the whole world would put in my pocket in three years. Yeah in two days. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, uh, we need to start looking at things a whole lot different. Now get no, now granted, I, I can accept, uh, the fact and that I, I, I probably had it very different than less, let's say like a totally new unknown, not established, never signed artist that no one knows at all. Yeah. I was able to benefit from the fact that, you know, I, I had a successful web two career and there were people out there who knew who, who I was already and knew my music. And so I think, you know, that sort of gave me a bit of a, like an edge, I guess you could say. Um, but it still showed me that, that if you're, if you're an artist and you're willing to create something 
really special and focus only on those who genuinely believe in you, you can probably establish a much more livable career. Like you can have a life where you do what you love for a living and you can live comfortably because this very small group of people values you that high. And honestly, if you're able to do it like that, you'll be even more valuable later because you would have proven that you don't need the whole world to decide that you're worth a million dollars. You really only need the right person with enough influence to, to decide this is what I'll outbid all of you. I'll pay the most money to have this one thing or this, or be a part, you know, have a part of this collection. Um, that's how much it means to me. And if that one right person determines your value at that, now that's what your value is. And anyone else who wants to collect something from you is going to have to be willing to, to match or step above that. Um, and so that's kind of like how it works in fine art, right? Like a fine artist isn't making like 10 million pieces. So like everyone in the world can have access and have one, get have a Mona Lisa, like, you know what I mean? Like Picasso wasn't like, I'm going to do like 10, a 10,000 piece collection. (laughs) And like, he's like, I'm doing one painting, dude. Like either you like it or you don't and whoever likes it the most, they're going to pay the most. And once you sell that first painting, everyone's like, dude, so when's the guy going to do another one? I'm going to try to get the next one. And you know, um, and so that's kind of like how art should work and how it used to work. But the music industry kind of messed it up when they decided to wake up one day and determine the value of a song for Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. You know, like we're creating like a whole album and you're going to decide that like 99 cents is the value of a song. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, that kind of like messed up the whole thing. And now for, you know, decades, we've been playing the game according to this weird valuation that was set by major labels. And uh, so, you know, that I mean. That being said, a lot of artists have still been able to make a significant, like copious amount of money. Mm-hmm. But it also means that there's also tons of artists who should have and could have made times more money. Yeah. But sure. we're limited to like 99 cents per song yeah, <laughs> or yeah. 0.00004 <laughs> cents per stream. Yeah. Uh, so who made that up? You know what I mean? Oh. Like, so yeah. Uh, so that's why, you know, I think. Uh, so th- all these discoveries kind of like propelled me down the web three rabbit hole even faster. You know, like when, when we learn something that we feel could save the day or like, I'm telling everybody, yeah, I'm telling everybody <laughs> and we're going up against the bad guys. We can do it. They're, they're, they're stronger than us, but if it's more of us, then we could still beat them. You know, so, we have so all have the you money, told we have, have all the people. Have you told like your, your music friends about all this? Uh, not this is all I do now. <laughs> my obsession. You know, this yeah. and now they are, now everyone. All my music friends come to me. Like everyone's coming to me. Like you got to tell me about this. I see like you're so deep in it, and now you're like the queen of NFTs, and like yeah. how, and I see like your whole life is changing, and now you're like the CEO of a company, and you're like going all the way up. Like how do I do this? <laughs> you know yeah. what? What you know? Like teach me. And so yeah, I spend a lot of a lot of time when when i'm not working literally just like helping my friends or helping other artists you know understand this whole thing and trying to figure it out 
Yeah, and I know you were talking about just like unknown artists, and I know we both know Sammy Arriaga, and it's dope to see what he's done. Yeah. Like, I, I believe he quit his like nine to five job now. Yeah. Um, so that's like awesome to see, like, that's I how mean, far he could take you. Poster child, like Sammy and Violetta and Loli, they're like, for me, like the, my top three. I mean, we have, you know, like guys like Blau, like killed it as well. Yeah. But, you know, as far as like the singer songwriters, because that's mm-hmm. my, you know, my vibe. Yeah, they're the ones smashing it right now. And they are a testament to exactly what, you know, like if you put the work in, what this technology can do for you. Because, you know, I probably Jacob, maybe Loli, yeah, he's like the closest, maybe the closest to what I was like. He kind of like already had some success in Web2 and he had a following. Um, and so, like, just like I, like both of us figured out, you know, like how to, how to like gradually float them over here, mm-hmm. you know, but we also had to get really good at being the new kid on the block in web three. Mm-hmm. Um, because as you know, like in web three, a lot, there's a, it's a very different mentality and people care less about numbers to an extent. They don't, they're like, so what you have a blue check, what does that mean? You know, uh okay like you're famous and what you think you're gonna just come over here and get clout like that's not how we do it over here you know so yeah even if you even if you've had a lot of web 2 success we see and we see it all the time every Mm -hmm. so many like huge artists like launch nft projects and they're like stalled i hate to even call names but like i like to give legit examples so like if you look at chris brown's breezy (laughs) project it's clear that that he's not been able to make that connection with his current like you know web 2 they they're like we don't get it and i don't know if they're doing it this way intentionally just letting it trickle in there might be like a method to their madness or you know they they might just be like yeah we're just doing it organic or Mm -hmm. they're really just not making that effort to like get his current fan base to understand why it's important to yeah. support him in this way and how it can also benefit them because yeah. you're never going to benefit from streaming my nft like other than enjoying it i mean streaming my mp3 yeah what is the benefit to you but if you can own something really exclusive that's a part of me that that could potentially have a lot of value for you as well you know in the future mm-hmm. and so yeah we see that it's like it's like <laughs> Like Web three is like the upside down, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like blue check, we don't care. Numbers, boo. <laughs> really famous, womp. <laughs> Who's this new kid? I never saw you before. Oh my god, you're really singing live, dude! Everyone, get behind this kid. <laughs> it's like yeah. the upside, yeah. And so yeah, you can't just come in here thinking that. Well, I'm the guy. Like even Snoop had to put, you know, he. He put in a lot of work, man, like to prove yeah. like, dude, I'm one of you. I'm going to create like Cosmo Badici and I'm going to like freaking also collect <laughs> like crazy. I'm like, yeah. I'm supporting the, I'm not just like begging you guys to give me stuff. Yeah. Like I'm collecting as well, you know, like I'm building in these different metaverses. I'm like really here, you mm. know? So he, to me, people like Snoop figured out the, the right way uh to do this you know for the most part mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's why it's just like i mean it's kind of confusing too when you think about it like obviously people had to put in 
even like I work with athletes. So like you got to put in the work to get there to a certain level, but you don't mm -hmm. want to put in the, this new work mm -hmm. in the web three space. Mm -hmm. So it's confusing to me. Like, why wouldn't they want to? <laughs> yeah. It's also like, you know, less than 5% of people in the world are, are like, even know what crypto is or understand it or participate. So, and then it's an even smaller percentage of that 5% that's into like NFTs and digital collectibles. So the community is very small. It's like, it is that like everybody knows each other, you know what I mean? Like we all know each other for the most part, even if not personally, like all the major players in, in the community, we all know what we, we know each other. We all know who this guy is. And, you know, even if you never met, you, you see them in the same spaces all the time. Like they're always, you know, really active. And so we know who the active people in the community are. And, yeah. and it's still so small that that's how it is right now. It's like, you're not really going to support the stranger dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to rally behind fa your family. Like, this is our brother. This is our sister. This is our guy, you know, like it's more, it, that's kind of like where it's at now, but it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves when there is mass adoption. And we do have like more, like I call it like humans going to human. And you kind of see a little bit of it leaking in already, <laughs> mm -hmm. but as of right now, yeah, it's kind of still like a very small neighborhood. And people tend to support the guy that shows up a lot and that people like and that they can get, have confidence that the guy's not a weirdo or she's not fickle or just using us or for clout and she we're just going to mint and she's going to dip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. people really have to have confidence that they want to judge your character. And even if you're an on and we don't know your face and we don't know who you actually are, it's it's your reputation. Um, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna really play a big, a big role in how much people in the community want to support you. That's like on top of what you're actually offering, yeah. you know, the value that you're actually offering. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so tell me a little bit about this, uh, Barbados NFT conference. Yeah. So like I said, y'all, I'm all the way in, I'm, I'm deep, I'm deep. And, and so you asked me like, you know, if I've been like telling everybody and I'm, and so, yeah, I'm telling everybody, and this is the biggest way that I can do it with a whole, you know, a whole conference. Um, so right now, you know, like I was born and raised in Barbados and Barbados is, um, one of the, at least globally known as one of the more like pro crypto countries, like our print prime minister has refused to fall under the pressure of a lot of countries like banning it or making it illegal. Mm -hmm. um, so the only the only issues we have in Barbados right now is that we still suffer from a lot of a lot of financial discrimination from different institutions. So like we still have so many restrictions, like we still can't just buy crypto with our credit cards or debit cards. We just can't like go to Binance <laughs> and like buy crypto. Um, you know, everything is OTC for us right now. Um, and so I recognize that what's going on is that it's almost like, like Barbados needs to be rebranded because unfortunately a lot of the islands in the Caribbean are notorious. Like, like the Caribbean is just known as this haven where like bad people hide and hide bad money. And, <laughs> and we kind of like let them come, you know, we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the Bahamas, Cayman Islands, like all these, you know, Caribbean yeah. islands, like where people like do this stuff. So, um, 
so we've had a bad rap which is honestly why a lot of the banks are like if we operate in your company in your country we're gonna you're gonna have totally different restrictions than you know than where us our banks that operate in canada or the us or whatever and so I realize it's kind of like the culture that needs to change. And I also don't want us to get left behind um, because the Caribbean is a region that always gets left behind with technology. So I feel like for the first time in a long time, they, like the, the playing field is kind of level and no one really has any restrictions as far as like actually learning and understanding blockchain technology and participating. <laughs> so I'm just like, nah, Barbados, we can't get left behind again. Like we need to be like the blockchain hub of the Caribbean. And I'm looking at it like Miami's right here. Miami's the new Silicon Valley. That's where like all the, the, the blockchain action is happening in Florida. So I'm like, Florida is literally a, throw, a stone throw away from Barbados, like literally a three hour flight. <laughs> so I'm just like, this makes sense. Like, like the, let's keep it, like keep the action in this region. And I decided to sort of tackle it from an education perspective. I'm like, if we are not gonna get left behind, we gotta get to the, the kids early because they already understand digital economy. They're already playing Roblox and Fortnite. They're, they're making money in games. Mm-hmm. and they understand this a lot more than like say my mom does yeah. you know so i decided to host a conference um um and start a program in barbados uh called crypto for kids um and so it's gonna be like a bunch of workshops where the kids are gonna get to do a lot of cool stuff they're gonna get in like an intro to coding they're gonna get um like we literally have this kid called Maxim. He's amazing. He's he just turned 19, um, but he is like a genius. He knows how to build like mining rigs from scratch. He's gonna come in and like bring the parts and like build like, you know, hands on. Literally, these kids are gonna build mining rigs, build computers, and like we got uh, guys coming in to teach him about VR and gaming and drones and, you know, basically just like new tech. And so, you know, they're going to learn all about blockchain and they're going to learn about NFTs. Uh, and it's pretty exciting because uh, I have some really cool people that decide to come on board. I got like the National Cultural Foundation of Barbados, the Ministry of Education, <laughs> like mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, we I was able to pull together a lot of support for this. So it's going to be the first blockchain conference, but it's with a specific focus on you know like the youth and education and how these new technologies can actually impact like underserved and uh, underbanked communities like you know like so, like a country like Barbados or other third world or developing nations around the world mm-hmm. and it's pretty um, awesome because I was able to draw this like cool juxtaposition between like Barbados and Iceland because I'm like we're at, like we're right now we're looking at this conference and we're thinking like oh yeah this is gonna impact the Caribbean and Latin America and I'm just like dude global if you're an island you need to pay attention to this technology this could be the thing that empowers islands are the most vulnerable and I don't care like what size your island is you, like you could be England like you got a big problem if there's like a, a major world catastrophe. Mm-hmm. 
you're cut, you're the first people cut, cut off. You're isolated. Nothing's getting to you. You have no, there's no mainland that you could like drive over to. Yeah. Like you're separated and cut off. And so we need to start thinking about ways that we could be more self-sufficient and use technology to like get closer to that, be more independent. And literally Barbados just, um, broke away from the crown of like, I mean, we, we became independent in 66, but then we were still kind of like in the Commonwealth. <laughs> so we still had an answer to the queen. And so we just became a Republic and completely broke away. So I'm like, okay, this means we really need to be like self-sufficient now. Cause we can't even call, like, we can't call uncle Sam for help. Right. We can't call the queen, the king. Well, she said no. Yeah, we can't call the king. We can't call nobody. So we better figure out how to stand our, on our own two feet. Um, and then I said, well, and look at Iceland. They're the same. They're mm -hmm. literally, even though they're in a frozen tundra and we're in, we're in the tropics, they have around the same population. And Iceland is an island. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. you know you guys are going to have the same issues too. So we reached out to Iceland and they're, they're like, we're on board, come do this over here too. So now we got like the Iceland government supporting the conference in Barbados. We got uh, other Caribbean islands too, like the government of Bermuda come on board. So you can see that it's a movement and all the islands are really excited and keen about this technology. And I just decided to kind of like lead the charge, like kick it off, like be first in line and hopefully start setting new trends. And, you know, we're hoping for it to like grow into a giant convention and then, you know, a summit maybe. Um, right now I'm already getting phone calls from Jamaica, Trinidad, like, dude, will you come do this conference here next? Like our kids need to learn about this. So yeah, through the, through the crypto for kids program, we're going to, uh, teach the kids as much as we can about all this tech and then train them to be ambassadors and then they go on to train the next generation of kids and the next generation of kids because I also feel like education is looking real different right now especially after the pandemic we, we really have to start embracing like alternative education for many many reasons like not only is financial um, education non-existent in most uh, schools, especially public schools, mm -hmm. but also most kids don't learn the same. And yeah. we're realizing this and the t pandemic really taught us this as like a bunch of kids that were failing before start were shining during the pandemic because mm -hmm. it's more comfortable for them to learn in the comfort of their home where mm -hmm. their mom is home and you know, they don't feel like they're in a, in a class, this sterile classroom environment competing against all these other kids. It's just like me and my teacher or whatever. Like, so people are not embracing like distance education, um, remote learning, you know, virtual learning and like gamified learning, <laughs> you know? So these are the things that we're also trying to introduce to Barbados and the region so that we can like move the kids forward faster so that they become, you know, the, the next generation of builders and creators. Cause as it stands right now, places like Barbados, we outsource a lot. <laughs> Yeah. We, we import so much, we import everything. And then on top of importing everything, then, you know, even some of our political problems, like any issues that we have, like we're outsourcing those solutions from other countries and, or corporations. And I'm just like, now nah, we need to like focus on tech in Barbados because we don't need to be outsourcing solutions. No one's going to solve our problems better than us. You can't, 
like the the probability is really high that the solution will fail if it comes from an external source because you might be trying to use this model that worked over there but over there is not over here the culture is totally different it might not have the same impact it might not work so i'm really trying to impact my culture where i was raised and 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 get the government and the people to realize like like embracing technology is something that could be really liberating. So that's what this conference is all about. And it kicks off October 7th. It runs from the 7th to the 9th um, in Barbados. It's called Blockchain on the Beach. So if you want to just come to Barbados for like a kind of vacation, but also, yeah, network and and learn uh, all about blockchain and, and Web3, this is like, this is perfect for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I'll come if you give me a tour. Hell yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> From the seventh to the ninth, we're doing catamaran cruises, island tours. Like we're gonna mix it up, you know. So you're mm -hmm. gonna get to experience a beautiful tropical island, but you're also gonna get the chance to network with some pretty big players in Web three and um, and blockchain. And you're gonna you're gonna also get to learn a lot, you know, especially the kids. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. I'm do, I'm like also doing a, an, an NFT project with a bunch of kids who are like from different choirs here, mm -hmm. um, just as a practical exercise to show them like how you take art and put it on chain and then make money from it. So we're all gonna like do a, a song together, gonna record it with them, and then create an NFT. And then literally during the conference, create the NFT like live, like minted life, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and set it for auction and then i want to give like 100 percent of the proceeds from the auction to um you know i haven't decided yet but a children's charity um and i i'll probably i'll probably leave it up to the winning bidder to decide like i'll just put that in the smart contract like you have to yeah. <laughs> when you buy it you have to also tell me who to give this money to <laughs> yeah. you know i would like, i would say even like charity. try to do it try to like do it yourself yeah not like uh because i uh i'd done stuff like that in the past and then like donated to like big foundations and i'm like well, what's the point of this like what did that actually do and then like i found like smaller ones that are like local yeah exactly like you, like you know what they're actually going to do with it. yeah i want to give it to like yeah a smaller yeah, you know, yeah. Stuff like that they, they really need the help yeah 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 i'm sick of i'm sick of big big stuff big companies yeah i feel you um going back going back to music like what uh who are some of your like inspirations and like role models growing up when i was growing up i was like influenced by a lot of different music because my my parents listened to a lot of motown stuff so obviously i love like stevie wonder and artists like that but they also listened to a lot of whitney houston michael jackson um and i really loved bob marley but then as i got older i started to idolize like Aaliyah, and i really loved missy elliott and then um later on yeah came destiny's child and beyonce I was totally obsessed by them um and i would say probably my biggest influence uh for the longest time is probably alicia keys um i just like her whole vibe i like that she makes wholesome music but she's also like actually writing and creating um but then she's also beautiful and she's also like really inspiring and 
you know, gives back. And so she just represents a lot of what, you know, I like, I feel I would want to be as a person, but also a creative. Yeah, for sure. What about who are like top three uh, artists that you want to do a song with? I literally, well, I got to knock one off of my list because I, I, uh, <laughs> I like always wanted to work with Snoop, and I just recently got to do a song with him, so that was cool. And hopefully, it'll come out soon. Um, oh, is that exclusive right there? Yes, actually, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I don't think I told anyone this uh, before. Um, but yeah, um, man, there's so many. Well, I haven't gotten to work with Alicia. I really like loved Lauren Hill too. I wanted to work with her for a long time, um, but and I already got to work with Bruno Mars. He was like high on my list. Oh man, there's so many artists, dude. Like, so when you say work with, or them, to start, like... like I think everyone wants to work with Drake at some point. I think yeah. that would be dope. dope. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to work with you know even artists like Adele, like Ed Sheeran. Um, because i really love the singer songwriters man like that's my vibe yeah um but a lot of artists that are really popular like good friends of mine you know like joiner lucas and saint john and all these guys and so i actually like grew like grew up in the game working with them like all along the way so to be honest i've been able to check a lot of people on my list i would say the one that's crucial like i really want to work with stevie wonder and okay. all the other people that I really wanted to work with at some point or met or meet, they they passed, man. Like freaking Prince, Michael Jackson, Whitney. So I'm just like begging you, Stevie, just like hang in there for me, bro. Like please, because <laughs> like I'm losing all my things. <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> so I need you to hang in there for me. All right, but, so yeah, we're so. I would work with probably like most of the artists that are out there. Like I even th- like I love um, Lil Baby. I love Kodak Black. Like there's so many like artists that I freaking love. You know, I love hip hop. I love freaking all the music. I want. I freaking want to work with like I don't know. Like yeah, even Kings of Leon and like <laughs> my fr- favorite brand band is like System of a Down. Like could you imagine like getting to work with System? That would be sick. All right, so top, is, so, top, so top three is Snoop Dogg, Stevie Wonder, and who's three? Hell yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to – you can't ask a singer-songwriter for, like, a top three artist, man. That's tough. That's real tough. I'll just say it's tied by everybody. Yeah, everyone's a tie. See, I think it's always – It would be to work with T-Pain, too. That would be fun. I just know that would be so much I love T-Pain. Yeah. All right, so that's your third. Uh, (laughs) no i always like um like when like a rapper and like a singer come together especially when it's a guy and a girl like i think it's really dope like uh you know who russ is yeah i love russ like like he yeah like he put on basically like two girls in the past year like and blew them up like just off of like one song so i think it's like really dope what he's doing yeah um are you ready for some fun questions yeah let's get it all right what's your what's your favorite uh food Oh man, I'm, that's another hard one. I'm a foodie, but growing up in Barbados, I, I probably would say like my go-to favorite food is maybe like grilled fish. Like I love uh, grilled marlin or like grilled swordfish or like grilled potatoes and a nice coleslaw or salad or something. What about what about in America? In America, pizza <laughs> man. 
you find the right pizza spot. You're uh, golden. And I, and I, you know, I, I lived in New York for a long time, so I'm like uh, really, I'm pet pizza petty man. So, well, I live in Connecticut and crust. Yeah, we, <laughs> Connecticut and New York, we have a rivalry, but Connecticut's yeah. number one pizza. Yeah, dude, pizza is probably like my favorite. What? And, it's, and it sucks. Like the Italians are probably so pissed at me. Like, did you just say pizza was American? It is. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It well, well, technically, I'd say yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the pizza in Italy is not the same. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um. What are, What is something people don't know about you? Ooh, there's a lot. It's a matter of what I want to share. Oh, you got a you got a secret. You got an alternate life. I got secrets. Everybody got secrets. Uh, there's probably a few people that know this, um, and I don't really like to talk about it because I'm big on like like gun law reform and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm really good with guns because I like have <laughs> military ba- background, and so I'm actually like a sharpshooter and i'm actually like cross arms qualified so if i have to shoot you i'm not gonna miss i can shoot like quarter inch groupings i can like strip a weapon and like put it back together in seconds like (laughs) i'm pretty yeah it's i know my way around some like rifles and handguns and stuff uh mind you i don't own any and i don't I don't, I used to be on the range a lot, but I, yeah, guns is kind of like iffy topic for me. Yeah. No, um, I feel you. But yeah, but if I have a gun in my hand and you're my enemy, it's probably going to be a problem for you. I'm scared of you. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, that was a really good one. That was probably, that yeah. might've been the best one I ever got to be honest. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. Or like, if you point your gun at me, be sure you know what you're doing because if I get, get it from you. And I probably will. You're gonna have a lot of problems. And you, you said... doesn't mean that you should try to walk up to me and test me now. Oh yeah, no, no. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, was that? Did you say it was because your parents are military background? Is no, yeah, I literally, um, yeah. So there's a program in Barbados called the Cadets, and they probably have a lot of similar programs everywhere. Um, it's not like ROTC where it's like you get in trouble and now it's like mandatory. You have mm-hmm. to do this thing. Yeah. Um, but it's basically like a, like a sub-military organization that runs through the schools. Mm-hmm. And so for when I was in secondary school, like my entire time I went, um, my entire time I was at school, I in like high school, I guess you, you guys would call it. Um, I was in. The I was about. I was about to ask you to clarify. Yeah, high school. And I and so yeah, so I went through that program, went all the way, you know, uh, through the ranks of like corporal, sergeant, um, and then I went to the rank of officer. And usually the students who perform really good in this program, we get offered to basically go into the the military, like right out of school. Mm -hmm. And they give you these really attractive packages, especially if you're gonna be an officer. So yeah, I literally like left school and my first year after school I went and I did like the officer training, became an officer in the military for like half a year. (laughs) And then I was just like, yeah guys, uh, I'm out because I'm gonna go do this music thing, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, so that's where all that training came from. Like I literally 
for like a hot second was an officer in the army here in Barbados, like literally the Barbados defense force. That's great. That's crazy. And yeah. now I'm scared. And now I'm scared of you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't tell the story a lot, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, uh, and la last question. I know you just, you came out with an album in, in 2022, uh, boomerang. So one, like, how is it to feel? I know you haven't released an album. So what does that feel like to release one? And then two is, is that one also like an NFT? Uh, yeah. So boomerang, first of all, I, it felt so great to be able to get that out because I had, I actually recorded the majority of that album in Norway. Um, and that was probably uh, that it was definitely over a year ago that I started working on it. And uh, again, you know, a lot of artists didn't know what to do because of the pandemic. Like we weren't sure if it even made sense to really keep releasing music. Cause we were like, we're not going to be able to tour or anything behind it. So, uh, but then I just said, screw it. Like, I'm just going to put it out. Um, and the reception has been really great. Um, and this is the first let's, album, EP. It's technically an EP, but yeah, the first body of work that I released independently since I left Universal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that came with its challenges, but it also just felt really good to know, like I'm releasing something that whatever happens with it, you know, I'm going to be owning the yeah. majority, you know, like for the first time. <laughs> and so, yeah it's been it's been awesome to be able to, to you know put new stuff out and yeah i'm just gonna keep dropping new, new music but i am currently i wasn't gonna say anything but yeah i am currently working on a new nft project and this time it is going to be a generative project um the utility is actually pretty sick because uh, i'm also really big into con conservationalism um again because i was born and raised on an island and yeah the world's trash really like screws us in the islands like big time it floats out here it, like messes up our coral and it like kills all our fish and that's kind of like our life as island people you know we we thrive a lot on like seafood and basically like yeah the health of our oceans and stuff like that um so yeah this project's gonna have some really cool utility where you're going to be able to earn, but people are, but at the same time, you're, you know, you're going to be contributing to essentially like, I don't want to say zero carbon, but it's going to be a, a chance for you to sort of like help erase a little bit of your own personal carbon carbon footprint so i'm not going to get too deep into it but you're going to be able to help offset carbon emissions by 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 like literally being a part of this project mm -hmm. uh and it's gonna it's interesting for me because i've spent a lot of my time in you know the ethereum community and solana um but yeah i've been recently exploring uh you know like my crow fam and so I'm actually going to be doing this project on Kronos. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because I really feel like a lot of us are not exploring some the other chains enough. Um, and there's a lot of other cool chains too, like Cardano starting to really, um, like NFT marketplace. I'm pretty sure there's been over like a million 
collections dropped on that marketplace and it's like no one's talking about it but it's like really starting to do its thing there's also like hedera <laughs> algorand there's like a bunch of other chains that are starting to really do awesome stuff and so i decided you know what like let me see what's going on i have like a bunch of friends over at crypto.com and i just i just say you know what like let's see what's going on on some of these other chains um and and you just just because of the way this chain works it's gonna allow me to do all these cool things and add this extra utility and i will start doing as we call it like some more like drip marketing about it uh, i'll release more information bit by bit but just yeah look out um you'll see me a lot in spaces on sundays with the crow fam uh, so if you want to learn more about Kronos chain, yeah, definitely start, you know, join, join us on Sundays, um, and get into that community cause it's really on fire. Uh, so yeah, you're going to see a new, a new project for me soon. It's going to be my new, my first generative project. Um, and it does, it does music is tied into to it as well. So you'll be able to enjoy it on multiple fronts. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, could you let the listeners know where to follow you at? Thank you. Um, you guys want to stay in touch with me, uh, follow me on Twitter, of course, for definitely Web3Fam. Twitter, it's easy. It's Chantel underscore Lane. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, that's at Shawnee246, S-H-O-N-N-Y-246. And then on Facebook, Chantel Music. I'm on, I'm on all the things. I'm on the TikToks <laughs> as Chantel underscore Lane as well. Um, and I'm, I think I'm on Snapchat <laughs> and I'm even on Clubhouse. But yeah, you just search for Chantel. I'll pop up somewhere on like all the, all the different apps. Um, but I'm definitely much more active on Instagram and Twitter.